Welcome to the Limba, a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, those who have received it, those who should receive it, and sometimes even people who should not have. I am Brian Tuft. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Clay Russell. Guys, how are we feeling? Summer Fridays, they're back. Yeah, like it feels like the spring. It feels like we're we're done with winter. Maybe we survived another winter, guys. But at what cost? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we get into a little conversation about springtime and the things that it brings, does anyone have anything that they need to apologize for? I apologize for not knowing anything about the incredible woman you talked about last week, whose name escapes me. It was like Adela St. John's. Rogers. That's on me. Um, Well, I accept your apology on behalf of Adela. Wonderful. Thank you. I feel so much better. Clay, anything you need to atone for? Well, I never actually said anything bad about her publicly, but I'd like to apologize for underestimating Zoe Kravitz. Uh, I watched Kimmy on HBO, Steven Soderbergh's movie Kimmy, which is the first time that I've seen her in a role that isn't like, you know, a smoky love interest and really incredible performance. So if anybody is looking for more Catwoman, Kimmy, HBO. Is this your way of admitting to us you didn't watch Big Little Lies? Correct. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There must have been too many women involved in that project for you, chauvinist. <laughs> Do you want to just preemptively apologize for that one now, Clay? Apologize to Laura Dern and Reese Witherspoon immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a reverse Bechtel is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> These women are talking about too much. Their own feelings <laughs> and ambitions? Disgusting. How are, the lies, how are these lies little and big? Yeah. I don't buy it. Make up your mind. <laughs> I like how they think it's allowed for them to talk about their feelings. Disgusting. Well, as somebody who grew up in an Irish household where you're never supposed to talk about your feelings, you're supposed to suffer in silence. Mm. Nicole Kidman would be good to learn that. Uh, so as I said, uh, it's on the record that it feels like spring. And I think a large part of that is last Saturday night, daylight savings time hit. And... Boy, boy, did it ever hit, okay? My sleep schedule is fucked. Brian's um, acting like we went eight hours forward <laughs> instead of one. He's like, up is down, I'm nocturnal now. And it's like, it's an hour of your life, Brian. The night of Daylight Savings Time, I hosted a <laughs> dinner party, and I went to bed before the time changed. I was, like, <laughs> drunk, in bed, slept at, like, a log. The next night... I like went upstairs at around like twelve thirty. I did not fall asleep till almost three o'clock in the morning. I could not do it, and it's only gotten worse. Here's my trick: I treat myself to one sleeping pill a week, and it came in handy on Sunday. Oh, do you do it for the Sunday scaries? Uh, I do it so I can actually go to sleep on Sunday. I don't yeah. necessarily have Sunday scaries. I have. I stayed out way too fucking late on the weekend, and my sleep schedule is crazy. Oh, because I was going to say you can just get Xanax for that reason, but sleeping pills work too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, the reason I bring up daylight savings time is on March 15th, the U.S. Senate passed what it is calling the Sunshine Protection Act by unanimous voice vote. This bill would make daylight savings time permanent starting in 2023, thus ending a twice-year changing of the clocks. The Sunshine Protection Act scares me a little bit because I remember the Bush administration had a policy of anytime they would name something with protection in it, it means that they were screwing it up. 
like the Environmental Protection Act, was actually to dilute uh, quality with water sources and things like that. Does that mean that Congress is going to go after the sun like a Roland Emmerich film? I, I honestly, I hope so because I have been burned by the sun countless times, and it's about it's the worst. time that we we go for vengeance. I mean, here's my thing. I actually kind of like changing the time. Why? Is okay. it, did you like the theater of it? Do you like having to like go around and take your dusty kitchen clock off the wall and and spin the wheels around? Like it's so stupid. Yeah, there is there is like a type of protocol involved with it and pageantry. Also, in in my younger years, uh, when I lived in Washington D.C. and Ubers didn't exist yet, I have definitely like run down the metro escalator, desperately trying to catch like the last metro, which is suddenly an hour earlier than it's supposed to be, or whatever. So, you know, it felt like a, yeah, it felt like a little adventure. So you want to stick to this because you enjoy missing trains. I mean, missing trains is the story Christine, if your life is boring and you need to be, like, uh, changing the (laughs) clock so that you are on a deadline and, like, racing to get that last blue line back to fucking Pentagon City, then that's your problem and maybe you need to find a hobby because I don't want this. The the facts are on my side. OSHA has said that daylight savings time causes a 5.7 increase in injuries in the days following the changes of the clock. And Science Daily, which is the worst source, I really wanted a better one, released a study in 2020 that said that there is a 6% of fatal car crashes in the week following daylight savings time. I'm sorry, just because you want to feel like Cinderella leaving (laughs) Arlington, that's your problem, okay? We're not doing it. It's over. I don't take sleeping pills for the Sunday scaries. (laughs) I take them because I party too hard on the weekend, okay? Grow up. Okay, the one thing I have to say in my defense is I lived on the Orange Line, Brian. Oh. Okay, I guess that's supposed to mean something. (laughs) Oh, oh, uh, sorry, Christine. Because it's North Arlington instead of South Arlington. There's a big difference. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, as someone who can't think too good, uh, what will that mean if they get rid of it? Like, what time will the sun go down in, like, December? I do, it'll obviously be go to down an hour later, but the sun will rise an hour later in those days following the uh, winter equinox. So mm-hmm. um, a sunrise at like eight forty-five, nine o'clock uh, for like two weeks in That's, December, no. which is which is the drawback. I'm fine so, with that. I'm okay with that because that means that the sun will set at like six p.m. in December. Yeah, right? I'm glad that two non-morning people are here to talk about this because let me tell you. Well, I'm sorry, but like in November, whenever the fuck it changes, like the sun goes down at like three forty-five p.m., which is insane. Okay, so I went to Iceland for New Year's Eve a couple years ago, and is I was that also on the orange line. Are we supposed to? Yeah, it is. To know that? Yeah, it's at the okay. end of the line, Clay. And I was mentally prepared for a very early sunset, right? Because it's Iceland uh, in the dead of winter. But what I had not prepared for were the late sunrises. Being, like, almost ready to eat lunch and it was still pitch dark outside. I don't think those of us who live in, like, uh, (laughs) a non-extreme latitude understand the psychological effect of a late sunrise. Like, if the sun comes doesn't come up until 8.45 or 9, you're going to be working in pitch dark. Like, how is that any... If you already hate mornings, you're going to hate them even more, you know? But Iceland parties, though, right? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they're, they can stay out later because their son doesn't set at 3.45 p.m. I don't know, guys. It's like, so I have a lot of trouble with the conceptual aspects of time anyway, and I think it just, like, upsets me that we can just decide. Like, making daylight savings time permanent means we're, we're turning our backs on standard time. Which, first of all, they're going to have to change the lyrics in uh, the musical Rent because they refer to Easter Standard Time. Uh, I don't think they can do that because I watched this movie with Andrew Garfield and apparently the guy who made Rent is dead. Mm-hmm. Maybe hey. he wouldn't have died <laughs> if they had permanent <laughs> savings time. Um, but it's also like, how, I don't know, guys. It's like I have, a, I have a problem with the international dateline, too. Like, what is it? Yeah, I have a problem figuring out how to set my time back on my alarm clock. So I think everybody wins and everybody loses. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, we all lost in a sense, though, because to your concern, Christine, about the late sunrises, I tried to find the actual article and who sent it to me so I can give them credit. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was my friend Lisa, and she said the worst person we know just made the best possible point, which is when this was brought up to Marco Rubio, who is a senator who has been behind this cause forever, about, well, what about school children having to go to school in the dark? He said, well, why don't we push the start of school time? School time is actually at the worst possible time for adolescents and teenagers. They're not getting enough sleep. They're up too early. We should just kind of reschedule it. So I, I do think that for somebody who loves order as much as you and tradition... I think that the idea of getting rid of daylight savings time would really fuck it up because like I think the way that we have summer Fridays we'd have like winter mornings where like you would have to be at the office at like 10 instead of like 9. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's very unsettling. Well, thank God you have no power. I literally have none. <laughs> I'm not guys, voting for you if you run for the house. Have you guys ever looked at the time zones like the international time zones? They're bananas. No. I'm learning a lot on this episode. I'm learning that Clay apparently like parties really fucking hard on Friday <laughs> and Saturday night. Oh, you and know that. I'm learning that you have too much spare time if you're researching time zones. Like, I think it's interesting too, though. <laughs> Thank you, Clay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I mean, you know, the internet exists. You just you just type some things into Google while you're waiting for your dog to pee outside, and, and suddenly you're an expert on on time zones. It's really not that hard. Okay, so let's say for the sake of argument that what is what's the period that you want to keep, Christine? I don't know the difference. Standard time. Okay, let's say that we keep standard time. And then what would we just kind of shift normal hours? Like, I'm pretty sure if you research the concept of nine to five in terms of a working time, maybe we can just shift it to like a 10 to six. I feel like just like Christmas, like how a lot of people uh, don't know that the concept of the holiday Christmas is a lot newer than we think it is. I bet the concept of like a nine to five working day is probably also a lot newer than we think. It comes from Henry Ford. No, it doesn't. It comes from Dolly Parton, you ignorant bitch. (laughs) Wow. I'm so glad that two white men just knocked me down to size when I said something incredibly correct. Which is that Henry Ford was an early advocate of an eight-hour workday because the idea yeah. was eight hours. Another of work, reason he's burning in hell, right? Eight hours of sleep and eight hours of free time. He's right in the right in hell with Robert Moses. Yeah, fine. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he's I'm his number one fan, but like that's about the approximate age of the the eight-hour work week. It was like a post-industrial. So we're talking about a hundred years. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say get rid of it. All right, Christine, maybe maybe you brought me around to your your side of the argument here. I mean, you're sleeping all morning anyway, Clay. What's why do you care when the sun comes up? Mm-hmm. You have that. Do you still have that sunset alarm clock? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Other than daylight savings time ruining our lives, they announced it. We have a new Met Gala, guys. It's going to be based around my favorite show at the moment, The Gilded Age. Ooh, I know. It's 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 exciting. I feel validated. To me, the most exciting thing is knowing that Anna Wintour, where in her little West Village townhouse, is every Monday watching Carrie Coon just like tear up that scenery uh, week after week, just like me. I've never felt closer to Anna. Is that have we discussed Anna Wintour as a possible Medal of Freedom recipient? No, she's but, um, not an American, though. Which is no, fine. We've we given Tony Blair. Uh, yeah, we've been given oh, medals right. to foreign That Australian foreign golfer. Before. Oh, my God. Cut that out. I sound like an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. South African Gary Player. Wasn't there an Australian woman? Uh, Swedish Annika Sorenstam. Sweden is the Australia of Europe. <laughs> That's famously known. <laughs> <laughs> they talk so funny. Also, honestly, at this point, Anna Wintour might be a American citizen or a dual citizen. I just, I think she has too many skeletons in her closet. Yeah, she's definitely, now that we're kind of reframing the concept of the asshole boss, she would definitely be problematic in that sense. Um, but the, uh, the other day I was uh, out and about in Ridgewood, Queens, and I passed a school that's named for... Geraldine Ferraro, and I think she might be a Biden pick, especially since he has the uh, first female uh, vice president. Yeah. I would not be surprised if uh, she's in the first class, especially as like a Democratic history maker. I could see that. This is what happens to this podcast is it's broken my brain. And now when I see a popular figure, I think, moo, I wonder if they have the medal. Ooh, how would they look with a medal around them? And sometimes surprisingly good. <laughs> I, obviously, you guys don't have a lot to say because you're so exhausted from daylight savings time ravaging your sleep schedule. So when we get back, we'll do our profile of the week. Plays up. Coming up, Catherine filing shouts. So the Medal of Freedom tends to be awarded to public figures, to performers, to artists, to athletes. The person for this week is someone who uh, didn't necessarily gain the spotlight, but absolutely helped out Americans. Catherine Filene Schaus is her name. She was awarded the medal in 1977 by President Gerald Ford. And uh, this is a person who uh, definitely made it her life's cause to further uh, a woman's place in the workplace. With the 19th Amendment being passed, that was one thing to have women to gain the right to vote, but it's another to actually uh, advocate for them to uh, be able to find work and to be able to further their lives in that sense as well, as opposed to the traditional roles before the 19th Amendment of uh, working mostly in in houses for uh, for their husbands. 
She was born in 1896 to the owner and the founder of Filene's Basement, just to tie it together with retail there. Wait, okay, I saw Filene and I was like, like the, uh, like the department store? That's where she's from, yes. And her father, yeah, her father was born the week that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Thus, his name was Abraham Lincoln Filene. They named him after the president whenever he was assassinated. Tough week. Yeah. Interesting story with him. He uh, was an early proponent of the women's suffrage uh, movement and really supported them and was a uh, supporter of FDR's New Deal as well. And really made an impact on uh, Catherine Filene Schaus. He also supported and founded the Boston Symphony Orchestra, really solidifying this family's love for the arts. So Catherine Filene Schaus was born on June 9th, 1896 in Boston to the aforementioned Abraham Lincoln Filene. And... uh, One of the uh, things that she did do after the ratification of the 19th Amendment was to work for the Coolidge administration to help out in the Labor Department. She was one of the very first female members of his cabinet and would even help out at women's prisons as well to find them work whenever they got out of that uh, and really was an advocate for, uh, you know, being able to have women to be self-sufficient in that sense. Uh, She was also a prolific supporter of different arts organizations uh, from her father being a founding uh, or the founder of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. She was a prominent fundraiser for the National Symphony Orchestra as well. Some other firsts that she had, she was the very first woman to earn a master's degree in education from Harvard, and she was the first woman appointed to the Democratic National Committee uh, representing the state of Massachusetts. Uh, After her appointment with that, she also co-founded the Women's National Democratic Club. And her relationship with working directly for the government uh, started with Woodrow Wilson and stretched all the way to her death to Bill Clinton. So a lot like Marian Anderson, she uh, definitely had a long career of working with public officials as well. Now, as she was working in Washington, she wanted to be able to have a a space in nature for her family. She always loved nature and wanted to, uh, to be able to bring her family to appreciate that. And so in 1930, she purchased 117 acres in the incredibly named Wolf Trap. I know Wolf Trap. It's in Virginia, yeah. Yes. Christine used to live in the Washington, D.C. area, so she knows of it. And Big, uh, big, big uh, episode for Christine in D.C. Big. I mean, <laughs> massive. I know. <laughs> so as she was building up this area, she obviously had farmland and was able to uh, take children's groups out for nature. Uh, I even read that she would bring disabled children from D.C. out there to give them hay rides and things like that. And during World War II, uh, created a bit of a refuge for World War II soldiers returning uh, to be able to relax a little bit. Even George, uh, General George C. Marshall spent some time out there along with uh, several other government officials. And uh, 
yeah, the combination of her love of the arts and nature uh, culminated in 1966 whenever she donated all 117 acres to the federal government for free and was the first national park for the performing arts specifically, which is pretty interesting that it would be set aside to support artists and it'd be a haven for them. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun to see a concert there because, yeah, you're like in the woods. Once the government took it over, they uh, built an amphitheater there called the Filene Center. And uh, at this point, I uh, hope I'm not disappointing Brian and Christine, but uh, because she was so out of the spotlight, there weren't necessarily any things that we could have for a Wikipedia face-off that would be uh, worth a challenge. So I've decided to create a new part to the show when this doesn't happen, and I'm going to call it the cooking segment, in which the presenter of the profile gets to sit back and cook a little bit with the research. So the Filing Center opened on June 1st, 1971. The performer was fellow profile recipient Van Clyburn, who (gasps) did a performance there. Air horn, air horn. And throughout the years, there have been several performers there. Uh, in the last calendar year, we've had Amy Mann, Cheryl Crow, and a band called The National, whose guitarist, Aaron Desner, is a producer and produced a uh, little album called Folklore by <gasps> Taylor okay, no, Swift. That's the air horn moment. <laughs> and that is the cooking segment, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. It all God. comes back to Taylor Swift. It truly does. Brought that out specifically for that. Thank you. Love. Love. We're not going to add that in post. We'll do it live. Hell yeah. So, yeah, as a wolf trap enthusiast, so growing up um, in the D.C. area, they have something called the Children's Theater in the Woods. And I went there regularly. It's this, like, adorable little outdoor theater, and they would have, like, puppet shows and, like, little kids sing along and stuff. And then when I was an adult, a young adult in the D.C. area, it was, like, concert. I saw, like... Indigo Girl. You know, they have, like, a vibe. It's very, like... And supposedly it's pretty isolated from everything as well. Is that right? Yeah. And so you, like, drive in and you park on, like, gravel and then you walk into the woods. And it's, like, I, I think SPAC, which is the um, Saratoga Performing Arts Center, is similar. There's, like, seats, you know? Like, if you're pretty mm-hmm. close. And those tend to be, like, more traditional concert seat price and then there's like the lawn which is further back and you can just come bring like a blanket and sit down wherever and that's those are a lot cheaper and so I've, I've done both I've seen concerts like when I really cared about the artist I would like spring for the regular seats and otherwise mm-hmm. you just like bring some friends and like plop down in the grass it's wolf trap is awesome that's so, great literally to this day people are still enjoying that um yeah so that's definitely props to her and I'm Again, annoyed that this is like an awesome woman who has enriched my life directly, and I don't, I didn't know her. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely the quintessential Washington insider in a way, but that doesn't take away from the fact that she was always a steadfast supporter of women in the workplace, and obviously this incredible gift that she made by donating all of this land to the federal government to turn it into a national park. Yeah. Well... Now, trying to think of who she would be today. I mean, of course, if she supported women working, then she, maybe Kim Kardashian, because, you know, women just need to get Famously. off the ass and work. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of someone who used their fame or wealth or privilege 
to further a cause. The only person that I could think of is Michelle Obama because she was able to use her fame uh, really for furthering different initiatives that she supported. But I don't know. I feel like I'm forgetting or leaving out someone who would be fitting as well, who maybe wasn't necessarily a public figure, but used their their wealth and maybe their name to further a cause that isn't necessarily related to business. I mean, I feel like we talk about her a lot, but Mackenzie Davis, no. <laughs> Mackenzie Scott. Yeah. Mackenzie Davis is from Station Eleven, right? Yeah, and she's fan we love her. We love her on we the We love Mackenzie Davis. Call us. But yeah. uh as far as I know, she's not like a philanthropist just yet. Mackenzie Scott, formerly known as Mackenzie Bezos, who uh, you know, has a growing uh multi billion dollar fortune due to her um divorce from Jeff. Let's just call him Jeff. We're on a first name basis. Jeff. Yeah. And um like, is giving staggering amounts of money to causes, including, was it Christmas season last year? She went on this gifting spree to historically black colleges and universities. No, that uh, was during her summer spree. That was her and summer spree. And then she spree. did it again in, in Christmas, uh, Christmas time for different causes. I mean, I guess the difference, the thing that's not quite perfect uh, corollary to the Filene, sorry, what was her first name? Catherine. Catherine Filene. Shouse shoes mm-hmm. is she she has like such a widespread like I don't get the sense that and that's fine because she does have such a mind-boggling amount of money but I don't get the sense that Mackenzie Scott is like here's my cause and I'm going mm-hmm. to further this yet it's still early I am might. very excited to see I feel like in another decade or two she's she's really gonna watch this space guys Mackenzie Scott and Mackenzie Davis, rising star, you know. Just to bring it back to the beginning of the segment, uh, someone who's using their fame for something unrelated, Leonardo DiCaprio with the environment. Yes. And I also saw he apparently has a Ukrainian grandmother. Really? He has a Ukrainian grandparent and has uh, done, I can't remember off the top of my head, something very generous to, to donate to relief to Ukraine. So. Awesome. I feel like he's yeah, like I he feel I feel like he's like slightly dirt baggy, but like he's also kind of cool. I just can't hate him, you know. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't want to get married, he doesn't have to get married. All right. Well, thank you Clay for adding to the list of like undersung. Also, she looks fantastic. Her um portrait, right? In uh which is used as her main Wikipedia image is like mm-hmm. Very, I could tell this updo was done by a servant because it looks very elaborate, and I don't think <laughs> she could have done it herself. But she's wearing like a jaunty bow tie, which looks like it's possibly like a velvet material. For people that don't know, Christine looks fantastic in a bow tie. She wore it to a wedding once, and uh, I think that's your look, and I feel yeah. like you should do it more. I mean, that is literally the last wedding I went to. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, Clay, did you clock that she is the first and only person to receive both an American Medal of Freedom and the British Award of Dame Commandeer of the Order of the British Empire? Yes, awarded by Queen Elizabeth II. I was going to bring it up. Sorry. Heard of her, heard of her, heard of her, yeah. Wait, <laughs> what did, one. wait, 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 wait. Americans can get that? <laughs> Same as a Medal of Freedom, that Fuck. you can hand a Medal of Freedom to a non-American. All right, so that I have a new goal in life. That's fine. You might you might want to hurry up with Queen Elizabeth, if you know what I mean. No, she's going to live forever. It's fine. Okay. Although uh, some people, I saw someone, I don't know if it was like 
the onion or something where it was like Queen Elizabeth's being a little secretive. Do we think maybe there's a there's a baby on the way? Nice. Because like <laughs> pregnancy rumors. Yeah. Because yeah. she's like these children of mine are a mess. I need to have one more. <laughs> but yes, she uh, she uh, was awarded the Medal of Freedom and the Dame Commander of the British Empire as well. Love it. And did she did she live long enough to get the medal in person? Yes, she was awarded in 1977, and she lived almost 100 years old. She was born in 1896 and died in 1994. You guys, these rich people live forever. Yeah, there's like a correlation or something. Mm-hmm. So weird how access to good health care will help prolong your life. <laughs> One of us has to get a job at the White House. There's no photos of her getting her medal on Google. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I need access to the National Archives place. Yeah, was there an insurrection the the day after that she was given the award? So the press, yeah, there's going to be an insurrection where I storm into the White House and demand access to the National Archive. <laughs> Me like screaming at Kamala Harris in the map room. Yeah, I will say post Watergate, <laughs> maybe they weren't too uh, too friendly with the media at the time. With the press. Well, Christine, I look forward to seeing who you pick next week to round out our Women's History Month picks. I know, which is like I'm realizing wasn't my Rockefeller that was during Women's History Month, and I picked a man, a wealthy man. So shame. But it was on me. before we had pivoted to you know honoring women. Yeah, <laughs> which was something we had to do. I mean, yeah, it's it's not like Brian profiled Rush Limbaugh during Black History Month. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're 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 still okay. F- that was bad, but wouldn't it have been worse to pick a black recipient during the Trump era? Like, I, I mean, it's just... Tiger Woods was right there, Brian. That's all I'm saying. The, the less we talk about Tiger Woods getting the medal from Trump, I think the better for Tiger Woods. <laughs> just the less we talk about him, the better. Also, you'd think that Gerald Ford would have been a little bit warmer to the Washington press because, I mean, he literally got his job in the Washington Post. So there should be some press photos from this event. That's true. He was given the award of becoming president of the United States through the media. He just saw it right there in the paper. He's like, there's an opening. I'm going to go for it. (laughs) I'll apply. (laughs) Well, guys, there we go. Catherine Filene Chouse. While she did come from a privileged background, absolutely uh, did not just hoard all of that to herself. She managed to, to really contribute to the United States. There we go. When we come back, our medals of the week. by the name of Nicola Coughlin. And Brian, yeah, I really wish I you I almost could... picked her. Shut <laughs> up. Did you see the yes. article? Yeah. No, I just oh. I saw the trailer for Bridgerton and Dairy Girls back to back yes. and was like, this bitch is running Hollywood. Okay, so if you're anything like And me... she's 35 and playing a 17-year-old on Bridgerton, which to me Jesus. is the ultimate power move. Ultimate. So by the time the New York Times writes about something, you know it's very passe. And so for me, Nicola Coughlin has been a star since season one of Dairy Girls, which she plays Claire Devlin. She actually is very believable as a little, as a wee lesbian, as they call her. Um, (laughs) She has like bangs, which is like the Hollywood trick to make you look younger is to give you bangs like they did for um, 
Florence Pugh in um, Little Women. So bangs or gay, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, pick one. Or right. if you're feeling generous, both. Okay. Also, her, before she was, like, particularly famous, her Instagram was really funny. She There's this, well, it's not worth going into. But, like, if you ever look at her Instagram, like, scroll down to, like, 2018, 2019, and it's an utter delight. And now it's a lot more, like, glamour shots, which is fine. She's earned it. As Brian mentioned, she uh, was also she also stars in Bridgerton. Um, so season one took the world by storm. I don't know, last year? Like, what is time? I think Christmas it was last 2020. year. Ugh. Okay, so you're... And change ago. And it's a huge cast, and there were a lot of breakout stars, but she was like a solid member of that ensemble. And then much awaited season two of Bridgerton just dropped, and the it arguably even more awaited season three of Dairy Girls released a trailer on St. Patrick's Day. Power move. Yeah. And it's just she's uh-uh. so the sorry, so the article in the New York Times, which um you should read, is the most I've like learned about her, I guess, career trajectory. And apparently a year before um, she was cast in Dairy Girls, she was, like, working at an optician's office. Like, she was really someone who was just, like, grinding it out, going to auditions, trying to make it happen. And, like, it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And now she's, like, she's got that Netflix money, you know? And we love to see it. Yeah. So, um, Nicola Coughlin, you get my medal of the week. And I hope you'd never age. Keep those bangs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, Clay. So my pick, I am returning to a land that I gave a spotlight to a couple of shows ago. I am going back to the land down under of Australia. This time I'm not giving it to the people of Australia, (laughs) but the birds of Australia. Get this for uh, making sure that, that you never get stuck by the man. This one goes to the Australian magpie. Uh, This is from an article in the Australian field of ornithology. Are you guys subscribers? Obviously. Oh, founding member. (laughs) Great, great. So uh, the University of the Sunshine Coast in Australia, which is the name of an actual college, did a study where they uh, put tracking devices on the legs of several magpies Uh, believing that they'd be able to track their migration movements. And uh, within 20 minutes, one of the trackers disappeared. And within six months, every single one that they put on the legs of the magpies disappeared. And through this study, they found out that the magpies were working together as a team to be able to snap the trackers off of their legs <gasps> and throw them away. <laughs> so the man couldn't track their movements. They oh unionized. My, I <laughs> yeah. love that for them. Which is one of the few times that it's been documented that of animals working together to be able to... Uh, Stick it to the man. Exactly, yeah. through their teamwork. And through this, they made another discovery that magpies have incredible memories and can actually recognize the faces of 30 different people at once. And get this for holding a grudge. They didn't like one of the scientists that was researching them and would always attack them. The person left the practice, and the magpies didn't attack anyone else. The person came back 15 years later, and the birds immediately started attacking him. (laughs) They're like, F you, Gary. <laughs> How good is that for a grudge? They've been, they were biding their time. 
Yes. And so it says here, Sean Dooley, the uh, public affairs manager of BirdLife Australia, said, quote, if you think it was an attack personally, you would be correct. (laughs) So they hold grudges. Yeah. They work together to say, like, F you to big, big government surveillance. I mean. And even to show this, that they're starting to stereotype people. And so they've learned that children like to throw sticks and rocks at the birds. <laughs> and so they'll attack children. And so if a short adult walks into the cage, they'll attack the short adult as well. Oh, my God. When I die, I hope I come back as a magpie. I feel like you're already half magpie, Brian. It's, it's the bottom half. You can't see it on camera. <laughs> I'm sitting in a giant nest. Right. He has a team of people making sure that the tracker is is brought off of his leg. So, yes, my medal goes to the Australian magpie. Well done, Australia. Australia, famously the Sweden of Europe. (laughs) (laughs) My medal of the week uh, this week was one that I wanted to give just to, you know, kind of bring a little bit of a shine to somebody who I feel has been gravely overlooked. I would say maybe like three or four years ago, there was like a moment on Twitter where everyone realized that it was no longer cool to hate Twilight and that like the Twilight Renaissance was upon us. And I remember like there being like a reevaluation of that first film, which, you know, was a widely successful phenomenon, high grossing uh, film that um, was directed by a woman, Catherine Hardwick, uh, who, you know, is somebody who has not had as many opportunities as I think a male director who made a movie as compelling as 13 and as successful as Twilight probably would have had. And obviously, um, that reevaluation of Twilight has paid off, as we were talking earlier about the Batman, or as it is called in France, Le Batman. Robert Pattinson, our Edward Cullen himself, is now the, like, you know, wears the cape and the cowl of the uh, Cape Crusader. And next week, uh, on Sunday, uh, Kristen Stewart will uh, walk down the red carpet in hopes of winning an Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance in Spencer. And all of this success for the Twilight Kids have made me wonder, where is Taylor Lautner? You know, charismatic, seems like a nice guy funny, uh, you know, when given the opportunity. I just, I, I want to give the medal of the week to Taylor Lautner in hopes that it will coax him from wherever he is. I looked at his IMDb page. There's a few spatterings of movies, mostly small cameo roles. Uh, you know, make Taylor Lautner great again. So he is my pick. I'm hoping by this time next year, he is uh, running with the pack, pun intended, because he was a werewolf. And, uh, you know, is maybe it. not that nominated for an Oscar. I don't foresee that, but you know, yeah. there has to there has to be a role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for him. Or have I mean, him played like a Batman villain. There was a fucking role in the Batman universe for Carrie Coon. We can yeah. get one for Taylor Lautner. I mean, he Carrie Coon is jacked. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, like the guy is made for an action movie. Let's give him that. Let's give him a dark comedy. Like, you know, uh, let's let's cast him as Mr. Freeze. It won't be that hard for him to top Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance in that. I mean, that's that movie, that film just yes. belongs in the Criterion collection. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if Alan Ruck can have a career explosion, you know, 45 years after Ferris Bueller. Totally. I, yeah. I mean, I think that he happen. would be really good as like, you know, like a shit eating kid in a in a series. Like, and I mean, obviously, I don't mean kid like high school child, but like. In a show like Succession, like, he could be one of the siblings. Like, I think he could play, you know, like, stuck-up, ratty, privileged person. Like, I, I have faith. And Taylor Lautner, you're my middle of the week. 
come back to us. I also did find out when I did my little research, um, he famously once dated Taylor Swift, to bring it back to her. Are you talking about a Wolf Trap adjacent <gasps> recording artist? <laughs> That's the one. Uh, but Taylor Lautner did end up marrying a woman named Taylor. So they are Taylor and Taylor Lautner, <laughs> which oh, is wow. my no. favorite thing. He actually had her change her name legally to Tay. But um, I, just, I love the idea that like, they're getting mail like... You know, Taylor and Taylor, Taylor Lautner and Taylor I feel Lautner. Like the wedding hashtag Tay Tay probably wrote itself for that one. See, I'm thinking hashtag Taylor made. <laughs> you know, tune in next week uh, and join us on our sister podcast where we brainstorm wedding hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what do we do? We give our Oscar predictions next week. Do we put it on Twitter? What do we do? We do. I was going. I was going to give some homework. I really want everybody. To uh, to be prepared, I, I want at least the the big four: picture, director, actor, and actress from from all. No supportings, no supportings, no music. That's oh Clay, you got to do for music Clay. for Clay. Throw him a bone. <laughs> I mean, fine, but and then when you come over on Oscar Sunday, I will have ballots, <laughs> and whoever gets the most gets a twenty five dollar gift card to buy their favorite best picture on Blu ray. Because physical media is back, baby. Okay. I don't actually know if that's true, but I'm bringing it back. Uh, you're talking to a person with a bunch of vinyl records behind him, so maybe yes, so. Know, Grandpa, you're in the basement. <laughs> yes, thank you. Christine, let's wrap this up. Let's go. You're hosting this segment. Oh, all right. Yes. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and we'll have a lot to say about the Oscars, winners, losers. Hold on. No, next week, it'll be two weeks after that we that we know the results. Yeah. Next week is our final show before the Oscars. We're going to keep yes. predictions. Some, some about awards. I may tell you what color I think Kirsten Dunst is going to be wearing. Yeah, should we do red carpet predictions? Uh, I don't... Uh, it, 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 it's going to be boring. The celebrities have given us nothing. It's, it, to quote Andre Leon Talley, who I once gave a medal to, it's going to be a famine of beauty, I fear. But really? we'll get into it next week. I feel like this is going to be the big, like, all right, pandemic's all right. over, it's time to party moment. Like, we'll red see. carpets are back. We'll yeah. See. In the meantime, uh, keep it classy. Come check us out on Twitter, at Limbaugh Podcast, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye, Taylor Lautner. I love you. Call us. Presidential man